you will, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 9. We'll continue our evening sermon series in the book of Romans. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to use the Bible in the pew in front of you. You can find our passage on page 945, the pew Bible. We are in Romans 9 and looking at verses 14 through 18. Romans 9, verses 14 through 18. Let's give attention to the word of our Lord from Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 18. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Would you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we do confess that this is a difficult passage, not merely on the level of understanding what's written here, but in, in our emotions, Lord, in our hearts, we confess that we kick against the doctrines that are brought here. But Lord, I pray that you would help us by your Spirit to look and see you, and by the end of this night, Lord, would we all have hearts of worship, and delight that you are God. Help us in this Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, then you were able to see with me in the previous verses how God sovereignly chooses some to be saved from their sins and yet passes over others. And we looked at that and we saw that there is a a line of people that God is is particularly concerned with, but it's not a, a physical, biological line, the kind of line perhaps that we might think of that privileges you before God. It's a line of promise that God cares about in a salvific way. It's the line of faith. And so we see in this passage, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, or that's what we saw last week. That's what we ended with. And you can imagine uh, all the questions that the Apostle Paul might have once he makes a statement like this. You can imagine these questions because you probably yourself have asked such questions if you're not asking these questions now as we read a passage like this. God loved Jacob, sure, we like that, but hated Esau? Can God really hate anyone? And we find ourselves with questions that are not merely intellectual questions, tell me how this works, God. It's, it becomes emotional. It gets into our, our bones, it gets into our, our hearts. What do you mean, God, that you hate Esau? What do you mean that you would hate anyone? God, it sounds like you have a problem. 
Sounds like you have a problem. Surely these are not the emotions of a just and righteous God. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, anticipates the objection uh, that is raised with this kind of emotional question. We see that in verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? In other words, Paul says, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. You're thinking and you're feeling that somehow, because God would choose one and not the other, that somehow God is the one who is not being just. He is the one who is not righteous. And so Paul says, well, let's, let's take a look at that. Let's, let's look at this question and, and consider it. And of course, in a, in a wonderful way, Reminds me of my high school calculus teacher when I asked him a question. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? And his answer is pretty simple, straightforward. By no means. Absolutely not. God is not unjust. God is not unrighteous. Absolutely not. I remember thinking of my calculus class and I would ask I don't understand the question and my teacher would say well what's not to understand it's right here on the board it's like Greek to me but Paul doesn't merely stop there and say well absolutely not let's move on to the next question he does explain a bit uh, his answer That we should never think of God as one who is unjust. In fact, he gives us four responses in just these these four little verses here, 14 through 18, as to why the believer, when, when we find ourselves on an emotional level wondering, God, how could it be that you would choose some and not others? And he says, absolutely not. And we may feel that's unsatisfying to us and... And so Paul, the pastor, the shepherd, helps us by giving these four responses to this objection that God is unjust. And his answer, absolutely not. So he explains himself. And we're going to go through these four responses in turn. And our first response that we see in, uh, in these verses when Paul says, absolutely not, God is not unjust. What does Paul first do? Do you notice what he does? He turns to Scripture. He says, absolutely not. And then he says, and let me rest my case on the Word of God. Let me rest my case on the Word of God. Look at verse 15. He says this, For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. In other words, you can look at this and Paul is essentially saying here, look, this is not just my answer. This is not just one man's opinion here. It's not just what I think. Don't just take my word for it. This is is what God says. This is God's answer to that question. You can argue with me all you want. But I'm just going to show you simply what God has already said in his living word. 
I think that's helpful and instructive for us that Paul doesn't immediately try to resolve our questions, uh, but he he wants us to bring he wants to bring us before the Word of God and position us in a place where we are submitting ourselves first to God's Word, to understand and to see that God's Word has priority and authority over our lives, even over our most uh, deep emotional perplexities and questions. He wants us to understand that God has spoken. Now, if you're an unbeliever here tonight and say, okay, well, who cares? That doesn't convince me. We talk all day about what the Bible says, but this, this still doesn't seem fair. But I want you to stick around here. We'll come to you in a minute. But the person who has been saved from their sins through the grace of Jesus Christ, I want to remind you that you were brought out of slavery to sin. You were redeemed out of that slavery to sin. And you were brought into the kingdom of God. You have a a glorious testimony, don't you? A glorious salvation in Jesus Christ. But you're brought into a kingdom. And that means we have a king. And when you have a king, that means he has authority over us. Paul reminds us of our king. that We are brought by Christ into submission under the king of heaven and earth. And so Paul says, absolutely not. Let me show you. God has spoken. And really for the believer, when we, before we even look at these verses, but just to look at the verses and say, oh, this is what the Scriptures say. That's enough for me. This may be hard. And I'll confess, maybe I don't understand all the contours of it. Yes, maybe I have some difficulty with it. But if God has spoken, if God has said it is so, that's enough for me. And the question for you, believer, is this. Will you, when you are in a situation that, that, that puzzles you, that perplexes you about God, will you bow down to Him? Even in those times. Are you willing in your heart to say, Lord, I may not understand, but you are God. You are God. I may not fully grasp everything, but God, you have spoken, and I can trust you, and that is enough for me. In these verses, we see Paul quotes Exodus 33, verse 19. He does that in verse 15, and then in verse 17, he quotes Exodus chapter 9. And verse 16, and as we'll continue next week, we'll continue, Paul will raise more objections as we go on and answer them. He'll keep doing this. He'll he'll go back later, he'll go to Job, he'll go to Isaiah. He keeps going on dealing with this difficult doctrine of election by putting God's word in front of us. And he does this again and again, and he takes us to different verses and passages and says, look what God says, believe. Believe. Submit yourself to God's Word. You may remember in Romans chapter 3, 
Paul writes this. He says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. And so, believer, I want you to know this doctrine may be tough and it may cause you some heartburn, some time of real puzzlement and wrestling, and that's okay. But ultimately, you need to know that God has spoken on this issue. He has revealed what we need to see and know. And we are called, ultimately, as his creatures, saved by grace through Jesus Christ, to submit to him. So God has spoken, but what has he said? So that's our first response. So the second response that Paul gives, he takes us to the word of God, and then he shows us in the word of God what God says. And so the second response really before us in verses 14 and 15 is we see that salvation, salvation is an act of pure mercy. Salvation is an act of pure mercy. Let's look again at verses 14 and 15. Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. And you may pause here and say, well, okay, Paul, that's what you say, but on what basis do you say this? And so he quotes Exodus 33 and verse 19. He says, for, for, because God has spoken, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now what I want us to focus on from this verse tonight is the, the key to this passage, I think, is, or this verse, is, is the idea of mercy. Do you, do you know what mercy is? Have you seen it exhibited in your life? Have you exhibited mercy in your life? What is it to be a subject to the mercy of God? Well, it, it means that the choices that God makes, the things that He decides and does, it, it does not depend upon what we have done does not depend on what we have done. Because something else that you need to reckon with is that none of you here in this room are without sin. None of you are sinless. And if you don't know that's true about you, you need to reconsider your heart. Because you are not without sin. And what does a sinner need? A sinner needs mercy. A sinner needs mercy. We need mercy. In Adam, we are all fallen. And we are under the righteous condemnation of God. Ephesians 2 says that we are children of wrath. That's who you are. When you are in Adam, before you meet Christ, you are a child of wrath. And God has no obligation to you. He doesn't. He doesn't have any obligation to you. He doesn't owe you anything. It doesn't matter what good you have done. You're a sinner before God. You're an Adam. You're fallen. And we need to then ask the question, what does justice look like? For me, in that state, what does it look like For me to have justice when I have sinned and I've fallen short of God's glory and I am in Adam. Do you really want to answer that question? 
You know, the remarkable thing about the Bible at all is that God would save any of us. That there are any of us that God would save. That God would have mercy. God will have mercy on whom He will have mercy. And so you see, our, our problem isn't, the problem isn't that God has a problem. You know, the question is God unjust. It assumes that God has the problem. The problem isn't that. The problem is that we fail to recognize, we fail to recognize that not one of us deserves God's affection. None of us deserve God's salvation. God owes us, what God owes us is righteous judgment and condemnation. You say, well, that's not so. Just imagine, if you will, say you find five truly guilty men on death row. There's no doubt, there's no, you know, there's no question. These five men are all guilty. And they're headed, you know, to their sentences there. And then the governor calls for one of them and pardons them. So four of them get their, their sentence fulfilled and then one of them is pardoned. Where is the injustice done there? The guilty men have gotten what they deserve. What the one man doesn't get, or what the one man gets who gets the call from the governor is mercy. The four who were sentenced received the justice they deserve. The one who was called, saved by the governor, receives mercy. And none of them are deserving of that. It's all mercy. And we also notice that it is God's place to distribute justice and mercy. Again, notice in verse 15, when God speaks to Moses, again, going back to Exodus, what does God say? He doesn't sugarcoat anything here. He says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. God is the one who has ownership over this, over our salvation. I think of Exodus 33. You may not be very familiar with that. We're not yet there yet in our Sunday morning series. But that's Moses is there seeking to intercede on Israel's behalf. He is standing before God and he is interceding on Israel's behalf because Israel's just messed up royally. They 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 famously made this golden calf and they start worshiping it while Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments from God and they're worshiping this golden calf and they're shouting out this is he who brought us out of the land of Egypt this golden calf that they made out of their earrings and jewelry and so on and Moses sees he comes down and he sees this dancing around the calf the worshiping and so on and what does he do what is what happens? Do you know? Moses gathers those who are faithful to God and he commands them to take their swords and to go through their camp. And I'm going to read this from Exodus 32. So right before this quote takes place. And he tells his men, 
kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. It's the justice being done there for their idolatry. And 3,000 were killed. And you might say, from God's perspective, only 3,000? Is that all? Wasn't God merciful to have saved so many? Many were killed, and yet God saved many as well. I think the problems that we have ultimately at the bottom of our hearts is that we we don't want to believe that God is God and I am not. We don't want to believe that I am that God is God and we are not. But God is saying, I am the one who have mercy. I am the one who have compassion. At the end of the day, the question on our heart, it shouldn't be, God, you're are you being unjust here? It doesn't seem right what's going on. Our question ought to be really, Lord, why would you show love to me? I don't deserve this. Why would you show love to me? Look at verse 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So it is God who has mercy. Then thirdly, we see that there's this negative side to the coin of God's election. Verses 17 and 18, look at this with me. Verse 17, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You may wonder, well, what does it mean that God hardens whomever he wills? Does it mean that God's kind of sort of let go of Pharaoh and let him, you know, out in the cold so that he's hardened by God's absence? Like you might leave a, a sandwich out outside and forget about it and the bread gets hard overnight? We've already seen in verse 15 that God sovereignly chooses who he has mercy to. He is the one who acts in the work of pardoning sinners. That mercy is all of God. And what we need to see here is that the work of hardening is also God's work. Verse 17 tells us that God raised Pharaoh up in order to judge him so that he can demonstrate his power and his glory. You see, the Pharaoh is a sinner and God is just in giving the Pharaoh his sentence of condemnation. What God does in the life of the Pharaoh is he steps in personally with the Pharaoh and purposefully, righteously, he shuts the door on Pharaoh's opportunity of faith. And for him, for the Pharaoh, there was only the prospect of eternal condemnation. But you see, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart likewise presupposes Pharaoh's sin. Presupposes Pharaoh's guilt. Just as God's mercy presupposes 
our sin and that what we deserve is condemnation as well. So does God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart presuppose his sin and deserved condemnation? In other words, we look at Pharaoh and we shouldn't say, oh, he was an innocent man. What did he know? No, he was a sinner setting himself up against God and God hardens sinners who willfully rebels against him. And you know, Romans 9 doesn't apologize about this. It doesn't say, I'm sorry, I know this is hard to hear. But this, is, this is what God says, not really what I want, this is what God says. The truth is, for all of us, we are entirely, 100% dependent upon the kindness and mercy of God. Because it is He who condemns. Which brings us back to the fourth reason why We should not ever consider that God is unjust. Look at again verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Is God unjust? He cannot be unjust. He cannot be because everything he does is to show his power, proclaim his name. Everything he does is in line with, with his own nature, which is righteous. Who he is, he is righteous. And so all that he does is righteous. Again, back in Exodus 33, Moses asked God, God, show me your glory. And what does God do? He says, I I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. That's the context of that quote in verse 15. Moses wants to see the glory of God. And then what does God do? In Exodus 34, he he passes before Moses and proclaiming his name, Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That great... Statement of faith, the confession of faith there, as it were, is teaching us that God is not unjust because he's faithful always to who he is. He is a just God. He is merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's faithful, loving, forgiving, and just. And by understanding this, we begin to grasp and see The glory of God. And I tell you this because it ought to be a comfort to you. God is not erratic. He does not have good days and bad days. You ever done that? Had a really good week and then all of a sudden Saturday just explode. God's not vindictive. We can always count on him to be righteous and holy, true and just. Always. And so when we're going through hardships, what do you do? Do you you try to put God on the stand and try to cross-examine him? God, who are you? Or instead, do you say, you are God. You are holy, just, and righteous, and you have shown me your glory in Jesus Christ. And though this may be hard, I'm going to praise your holy name. 
We may not be able to explain or understand all the ways of God, but we can be sure that he is just and righteous. He is a holy God. Some final thoughts in this is that as we've gone through the book of Romans, one of the things I hope that we've been able to see as we've gone through this is that the the line of promise is also a line of faith, isn't it? It's a line of faith. Just as Abraham had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness, we are called to have faith in God through Jesus Christ. And so in Romans 10, Paul writes this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, it is with your mouth that you confess. It is with your heart that you believe and will be saved. It's not some sort of bleak fatalism here. Because anyone who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whatever your past, whatever your regrets, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. God's grace is sovereign. He is in charge. There's no doubt about that. But you also have a duty to believe. You do. That's on you. And so the New Testament calls people everywhere to turn to Christ and believe upon Him. And so what that means is when you have this question, am I one of God's elect or am I not? There's actually a test to answer that question for you. And that test is a, another question. Do you have faith in Christ? How can I know if I'm elect? Am I a Moses or a Pharaoh? Am I a Jacob or an Esau? Well, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Be called upon his name and put your faith in him. For that is the evidence of God's saving election. Yes, sinners are condemned in Scripture. That's not really because they aren't elect, though, well, that's true. But it's because they don't believe in the Lord Jesus. That they will not believe. They have hardened hearts against the Lord Jesus Christ. And he alone is the Savior of sinners. Why does God's wrath come? It's because we will not believe in the name of Jesus Christ. The only begotten Son of God. And so God passes over sinners sovereignly. And he hardens hearts righteously. And yet, at the same time, God delights in mercy. It's interesting, the Bible doesn't tell us God delights in judgment, though it is his righteous work. Listen to these verse, this verse from Ezekiel 33, verse 11. God says this, he says, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die? It's interesting, isn't it? The God who predestines is yet the God who pleads with sinners. And so reading Romans 9, what we ought to feel is this urgency to believe upon Jesus Christ. To turn away from our sin and to turn toward Christ. And to plead with others and tell Everyone you know, there is a way of salvation. 
the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. What an amazing God we have. That He would give His only Son for any of us. Now the question is this. Will you bow before Him? Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we consider Your holiness and justice, though we may at times tremble in rage against You, I pray that You would be pleased to show mercy. We are in need of Your mercy. And help us, Lord, even in our difficult times, to show us some of your glory, O Lord, that we would bow before you and worship. May we find great joy in that too. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.